now, legitimately, I'm super happy to be here with you. Uh, if I can be transparent, I absolutely hate the cold weather. It is like my least favorite thing in the entire world. Anybody else? Anybody else hate the cold weather? Let me get a display of hands. The rest of you, psychos, all right? Psychos. Normal people despise the cold weather, all right? It's tragic that you don't despise it. Um, nonetheless, I, I bore the elements, got in my car, and it was cold, all right, because I don't got that, you know, I don't got the luxury of preheated cars or heated seats. So I got in that cold car, turned it on, it was rumbling all weird because it was cold, right? And I got here all because I enjoy the company and I knew, man, I wanted to be with you guys. Like, you guys, I wanted to be with y'all. And it's because, like, leaving, the, <laughs> that was precious. I appreciate you falling. That was really nice. Um, and it's because you guys bless me. You guys bless me. And I hope when you come here, you are actually enjoying this time the way I am as well, that we're enjoying our time together. And that's by design. It's not by coincidence. It's not like it's just a bunch of fun, cool people in here. That's true. But it's also by design that the Lord has made it to where we come here on Sundays and we get blessed by one another. And that's because this room is full primarily of people who have decided, man, I believe this thing about Jesus. He's done something in our hearts, and he's caused us to believe in him and follow his teachings. And when that happens, there's a grace and a mercy given to us that begins from him that begins to shape our lives. And as it begins to shape our lives, man, that grace works in a way where it makes certain parts of us start to look a lot like Jesus, right? And so what that means is when we get together, man, we actually experience a fuller idea of Jesus because we're seeing him across the board. Now, that also means that that grace is working on other parts that just plainly they're not good, right? Like they suck. But at the same time, I've heard people have a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be made into the image of Christ, right? I've heard people literally here be like, man, I struggle so hard with people giving me compliments because they don't know the rest of my life. And what that means, the reason that's a misunderstanding is because you're called to be like Christ. You're not called to be Christ to anyone. And so when we come in and we're like, hey, I have all this baggage, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, we get that. That's why there's grace. But there's also this beautiful thing that happens in our lives as the grace of God works in our lives. When we get to see this picture of Jesus that comes through us. And then we get this beautiful collection of people here that come together and make up what the scriptures call the body of Christ, where we truly get to experience this fuller idea and this fuller experience of Jesus just because we're here together. We impact one another. We spur one. We introduce each other to Jesus. And that is a crazy thought, but I think that that is such a critical thought because it really goes right into what we're talking about in Ruth 3. We've kind of handled this, this portion of scripture and, and this book, and it's been really great. We've learned a lot about how God provides. We've learned a lot about his sovereignty. We've learned a lot about suffering. Uh, at the same time, I think we're coming to this place where we're really going to see how we partner with God as all these things are happening. And what I really hope we walk away from today more than anything else with, with more than anything else, that's the better syntax, sorry is the idea that God redeems, loves, and shows himself to his people, to the world. Oh, man, I didn't start a timer, y'all. I'm so sorry. So now in my mind, I'm working through like, oh, man, I, how much time do I have left? We're not going to be here all day, I promise. I'm going to try to get this out of here really quick. Uh, God redeems, loves, and shows himself to the world through the lives of those who follow him. That's the idea we're trying to go with, Okay. God redeems, loves, and shows himself to the world through the lives of those who follow him. All right, we're going to be in Ruth 3, but we're not going to read it all up front like we usually do. Okay, we're going to take it a bit at a time, chunks at a time. 
Uh, and we're actually going to bring, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers are coming by. They'll get you one. If you don't have one at home, we say it every week, take that one home. That's our gift to you. Additionally, if you have the Version app, you can go to events, uh, select the well, and it'll pull up the scriptures. We're going to be working from there. Okay, but we're going to go ahead and get reading. Then in verse 1, chapter 3, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See his, oh man, I checked that all the way up. <laughs> Is not Boaz our relative, with who, our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Okay, so when we get started here, our attention is actually not on Ruth, but it's on the woman Naomi, Naomi, right? And so... Really, this first section is about her. This is going to hit on three different people, and it's going to show us this idea of how God redeems and loves and and shows himself uh, to the world through the people that are following him. But we're going to see that through three specific people, and that's Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And this first section really focuses on Naomi. Now, the whole entire first chapter of the book really is about her as well. It tells a story of how Elimelech and Naomi, Naomi's husband, leave Bethlehem. They go to Moab, and it's there that they start to incur drastic and deep affliction, right? I mean, they're hurt. Elimelech dies. In addition, her sons die, and her sons had, during that time, had married Moabite women. And so it's just Naomi left with her two daughters-in-law. And from there, Ruth comes back with Naomi to Bethlehem, okay? And she's, like, so upset. She's so hurt. At the end of chapter one, she's talking about how they should call her bitter because the Lord has afflicted her. He is against her. She has this very distorted and ugly view of how God has set himself opposed to her. But what we didn't quite get a chance to look into at the end of chapter two last week is that Ruth is kind of having a bit of a turnaround. All right. She is actually in this place where she's starting to confess how good God is to her. Kind of displaying, man, he, he does provide. He is good. And as that begins to change in her mind, this idea that God is not opposed to her, that God has not afflicted her, that he's not her enemy, but in fact he's her friend, it begins to change her heart. Because up until now, the first two chapters of this book have painted this woman, Naomi, in this way that is selfish, that is self-centered, that is basically looking out for no one or herself. In fact, she's dealing with not having any children and losing her husband, and she doesn't even really see that Ruth is also in the exact same boat as her. I think kind of just, just, just misses it. But as she starts to see the care and affection of God moving toward her, she starts then to pivot toward how she cares for Ruth. And so when we see in verse 1, evidence of this change is, right, is happening right away. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it might be well with you? So she's caring for Ruth. She's taking care of her. But, but you guys might ask, what is rest? So let me say, what, what, is, what is rest to you? Someone give me an answer. Anyone give me an answer? Sleeping. All right. I'm not going to lie. There was one guy in the last guy that was like, peace. And I was like, don't be spiritual, dog. I was like, don't be spiritual. We all know that when we think rest, we think mattress, pillow. That's what we think, all right? And, you know, this is actually not talking about that. Leave the spirituality to the bottom. No, I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. So legitimately, this is talking about a different kind of rest, though. 
This is not saying, hey, Ruth, I, Naomi, your mother-in-law, need to provide you a mattress and a pillow. Uh, as we talked about last week, I, uh, Ruth is, a, is an immigrant. She's an immigrant in a foreign land. She's from Moab. And in Moab, she came over with all of her own ideas, her own religious beliefs, her own idols. She came over and had to start adjusting into this world as she placed her faith in the God of Naomi, and she began to try to find her place with the people of Naomi, that is, the Israelites. Now, here in this text, what, what Naomi's saying is, Ruth, I need to find a home for you in this foreign land where you have nothing. And in all honesty, you are on the fringes of society here. You're a foreigner and just putting it you know, plainly in this society. The societies of the Bible are not perfect. The people in the Bible are not perfect. God is perfect. And the inspiration of uh, the scriptures as God, that makes the scriptures perfect. They can, they can teach us perfectly. Yet the people in the Bible are not perfect. And so when we take a look at this specific scripture, we know that being a woman in this culture was, was hard. It was, not, it was not fun. It was disadvantageous. Far, I mean, as much as we do have to look at equal rights now, we have, I mean, it was so much worse here. And so Naomi is looking at Ruth and going, hey, man, we need to find you home and rest. And man, this is a godly, godly thought. This is incredible. Because what's happening is Ruth, I mean, Naomi, Naomi, Naomi. Naomi <laughs> is having this experience where she is receiving care and affection from the Lord. And that's beginning to change her heart. And she's beginning to take that and pivot it in a way that cares for Naomi, for Ruth. See, look, <laughs> Ruth. The crazy part about this is that Ruth, again, is coming from a completely different culture. So she doesn't even have a lot of these ideas about who God is and what he desires for her. And so Naomi is actually literally using her life, using her voice, using her heart, using her desires to show Ruth a bit of who God is that Ruth may have not ever heard in her entire life. The idea that Ruth has of God is being shaped simply in how Naomi is caring for her, how Naomi is encouraging her how Naomi's trying to find a place for her. And that's a reality that we live in as well. I mean, that's a challenging thought. Because seriously, we may be in a room full of people who have placed their faith in Christ and they believe that God is for them. But you go out into a world, whether it's your friends, your coworkers, your family. I mean, I'll be real. Like, I, I, I go home on holidays with my wife in times and I'm, I'm probably the only person that besides my wife, that believes in Christ there. And the reality is, man, we live our lives showing or not showing that affection of God to those people. You may be the closest thing that your friends, coworkers, family have to a church, a pastor, you know, the encouragement of Scripture. Man, Naomi understood this. She understood that she was looking at a young woman that had very little idea of what and who God was and how he was working in her life. And he knew that she knew, hey, like Ruth is trying to find refuge and safety in God. But man, how much more would she trust that if she knew, hey, he is working to your benefit and he loves you? Man, that's a beautiful intention. That's a beautiful desire. It's something we can learn from. It's something we can pull from to utilize our lives to display uh, a part of God and who he is to people that may not know him, that may desperately need to know him. And so Naomi does her thing. She tells her, hey, I, I'm going to seek rest for you. I'm going to seek out, you know, a place for you. Uh, and then she starts devising a plan, which is also good. That's also glorious. Man, Naomi looks out and goes, hey, this is the thing I think God wants to do for Ruth. 
So I am going to go ahead and make a plan to try to get it done. That's godly. She didn't just pray and say, man, I hope that somebody kind of like falls out of the sky and just makes it happen. She was like, hey, this is what God's desire for you is. So why don't we start making a plan, try to strategize to how we can get that done? That's another godly characteristic. Ruth, I mean, Naomi is absolutely positively following the purposes of God by trying to seek out advancing God's purposes on earth. She wants to be partnered with God and seeing that happen for Ruth. Now, as we just read, though, in that first text, I'll, I'll be completely transparent. The plan she comes up with is a very bad plan. It is just not a good plan. It's so actively bad, like, oh, my gosh, it's horrible. So legitimately, we look down, and she's like, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, uh, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down. That's pretty active. That's a pretty bad plan. Like, that's, that's a bad plan. And there's a few reasons why she was desperate for this to happen. There's this idea uh, in the scripture of something called a kinsman redeemer. Now, that's a weird word. None of us are going to our holiday and Christmas breaks and be like, what's up, kinsman redeemer? What's up, fam? None of us are going to do that. So we don't know what that means. And what that's getting at is this law, this, this, this law inherent in the Israelite culture where there was a protection if you had zero men to continue on uh, the lineage and the, the land ownership uh, in Israel. God had showed how faithful he was to his people by providing them a land that no one thought they could get. So that was really a staple, a staple that was evidence of how good God is. And so in the event that there was no man to take over, again, this is disadvantageous to be a woman in this culture at the time. If in, in this event, they could fall into the hands of a, a you know, a servant that wasn't even an Israelite. It could fall into anybody's hands. And so there was a law instituted where someone, someone, a, a relative could come in, marry the widowed person, and produce an heir so that the family, their inheritance, and their land could all stay in that family. And that person wouldn't be forgotten in the books of Israel. And so that's what's going on here. Naomi sees boys and he's like, hey, he's our relative. So she kind of sets her eyes on him and says, man, and we don't have anyone else to carry on this name and to keep our property and to keep our inheritance. So she starts that scheme, and she sets her eyes on Boaz. Now, I'll be honest. This begs the question for me, like, what is Naomi doing? Because we just got through talking about how Naomi is actually a, a godly woman. She's placing her faith in Christ, in, in God. She, she's literally looking and going, hey, I believe you're for me. I believe that you're good. I can trust you. All of a sudden, she's, she, her heart is looking different. She's trying to love Ruth and take care of her. Why is she doing this? Is it because she's so godly that she can see something in the, in the text and in Boaz's life and Ruth's life that we can't see? Well, yeah, kind of, but, but also not really. Is it that she's so direly sinful that, that she's just throwing whatever out there and it's just not a good situation? Well, yeah, no, and not really. This text is less to show us how Naomi is either evil or good. It's more to show us that this is how you can be a godly person and just lack wisdom. That's, that's the reality of not just Naomi, but that's the reality of your life. And that's the reality of my life. Man, you can be a godly person. You can have godly desires, godly intentions, godly pursuits, and then have a lack of wisdom that leads you to do something stupid with those godly desires and godly intentions. 
Guys, that, that is, like, literally, last week, Nick brought up the fact that Ruth is an immigrant. Knowing my own background coming from immigrants, knowing my own desires, knowing the cultural landscape uh, that we live in concerning immigration, I had this rage that was like, oh, that's a good desire. That's godly justice. And I went to Facebook, and I was, like, typing a post, and I was like, that is not wise. That is not wise. Backspace, backspace, backspace. That's literally what, it's that easy. It's that easy. A good godly desire, and then with a lack of wisdom, can produce something that just isn't ill-planned. Yet the beauty is that there is a sovereign, good, purposeful, gracious God that takes our best efforts, no matter how lacking in wisdom they may be, and the godly desires of our hearts and make something beautiful out of it. That's what's going on here. And so when we're charged, like Ruth is, to try to show our affections, show the affections of God to those around us, the beauty is found that, man, you will make mistakes. You will make mistakes. You will inevitably, I will inevitably, we will inevitably do and say something that makes someone go, uh. And the beauty of it is not that we have done something perfectly or imperfectly. Instead, the beauty is that we can trust that there is a God sovereign enough, big enough, loving enough to where he can say, I will make something beautiful out of that. In how you have offered to me what you have, the best of what you have, give it to me. And in my goodness, I will make something beautiful. That's the beauty that's taking place here. That's what Naomi's there to show us. Not her unquestionable godliness, nor her dire sinfulness, but the beauty of his sovereignty in literally making beautiful things happen in our best efforts, okay? That's one area our attention is drawn. The other area it's drawn to, though, is not primarily Naomi and what's going on there. The book's not called Naomi. The book is called Ruth, and it's called Ruth for a purpose. The other just, just area that I think the author wants to set our attention to is Ruth, now, that first chunk, it's about Naomi. It's showing Naomi her, her godliness, her lack of wisdom, and God's goodness. Yet, when we turn the corner in verse 5, we notice something even more spectacular. I mean, this part's crazy. We get a chance to look at how Ruth responds to this ill-conceived plan. Starting in verse 5, and she, Ruth, replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so now our gaze is set on Ruth, not Naomi. When we look at Ruth, the first thing we notice is that Ruth is told a absolutely hideous plan. That's a very bad plan. But Ruth responds with, sure, yeah, let's do it. And, and that, that begs the question for Ruth, what is she thinking? Right? And, and the beauty of this is not that Ruth is naive, nor is it that Ruth also knows something that we don't know. The beauty of it is that Ruth is willing to risk her reputation, willing to risk everything that she's gained here because she loves a woman that she has devoted herself to. When that risk is applied to her life, Ruth is able to look back at Naomi and go, hey, you know what? I'm sure Ruth knew this is a bad plan. But she said, I love you more than I fear the risk that it poses to me. And I'm not going to lie, this again had me like questioning something about my life. Because I'll be honest, man, like I said, I, I go home on holidays to, to people that aren't believers. It's like that weird thing where like everybody's like about to eat and like everyone's a, literally about to take a bite. And they're like, Josh, do you want to 
say, you know, pray for the food. And, and it gets awkward, and you're sitting there, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll say something. And I find myself in that moment feeling that sense of isolation and fear that makes me not even want to say, hey, man, uh, can, I, can I pray for you? Hey, how are you doing? Man, you know, I, I just saw you going through this, and I, I really wanted to, to pray for you. Is that cool? I know you don't believe in this, but, man, I believe that I love you, and I believe there's a God who loves you. Can I pray for you? And the question that really hit me was like, man, does, does my heart and affection for the people that I'm praying for, for the people that I see in need, is that greater than the, the fear I have of risking my own embarrassment, risking my own vulnerability? That, that's, that's the reality of what's get, being you know, gotten at here with Ruth. Guys, as I mentioned in the first part, man, you, you and I, man, we have been tasked with the beautiful calling of showing who Jesus is to the world. Not in our perfection, but in the beauty of who he is and how his grace is at work in our lives. And man, a beauty that, that is just so essential, a part of who he is that's so essential to his beauty is literally just that, man, he risks. Like for us, for the sake of his affections. Like we, we're here because of how he has lived and how he died and how he resurrected on our behalf. That's the purpose, that, that, that's the whole reason why we're here today celebrating who Jesus is. We sing songs today about how in Christ alone, man, that it literally is only because he laid down his life for us that we're even here. And we are called in the very same way to model that affection. And if it, sometimes, I mean, for some people in missionary situations, they lay down their life quite literally, but how much less and how much more can we actually live out that example than when we sacrifice a little bit of embarrassment to say, hey, man, can I, can I pray for you? Hey, man, can, and I know, I know it's weird. I know that it's awkward to be like, hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? You know, I, I'm, if, you know, if you're not busy, you know, I had this, this Sunday morning to do this thing, you know, and it's, you know, like that, I know that's how it comes out. That's how it comes out, because we get nervous. We get fearful, and then we are stumbling over our words. That's not, you're, you don't have to be perfect in that. Again, the godly desire of a person to act out and say, hey, I'm going to actively pursue God's purposes for my life and for other people's. He will take that beautiful stumbling invitation on Sunday morning and do something beautiful with it. Man, but the question in that moment is more, hey, do I love this person more than I fear my own risk? And man, Ruth does that beautifully. She's like, hey, you know what, Naomi, I love you more than I love the fear and the risk that I am uh, putting myself at. And so she goes, and she goes in the middle of the night. She goes, and she's, you know, she hides behind a bush or whatever she does. Like, I don't know how she hides, but she goes to the threshing floor, which is literally just the place where people are separating the, the harvest and the chaff. They're, they're like, it's, it's a good way to think of this through is literally like they're separating the corn husks from the corn right, down at the threshing floor. It's a little more involved than that, but that's the idea we want to we wanna have. And so they're working. They're working hard. They end the day. They end the day, and they come back, and they're like, hey, um, we're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to recover, recoup from our long day's work. So they eat. They have a bit of a small party. Um, there's nothing here, and I know we've been talking a lot about Boaz's character. I just want to kind of emphasize there's nothing here that communicates explicitly that my man's like, you know, sloshed on just kind of passing out on the pile of barley or whatever. It's more that they have worked an entire day, they have celebrated, eaten, drank, and they are now satisfied in the fact that they have done what they were called to do for their community and for their households. And now he goes, he lays down, and it's, it's getting late, and now here comes Ruth. 
right? Here comes Ruth. She comes out and she uncovers this man's toes. This man didn't wake up at midnight because of a rumbling in the night. He woke up because that man had a brisk breeze at his toes. Like, you know, like there's that sweet spot that's in between like socks and covers. You know, like you don't want to wear socks, but you do want to cover your feet. You know, but if you uncover your feet, you put on socks and everyone's like psychopath, right? Like that, no one ever wears socks. So this man is there barefoot and she uncovers his feet. And he startled, he wakes up and he looks at Ruth and he says, hey, who are you? And yeah, it was night, and yeah, it was probably hard to see, but there's so much context, there's so much texture there that we're to read into this. Because again, this is, this is an example of who Ruth is. This second section is really talking about Ruth's identity, who Ruth is. And in that moment, man, Ruth had to ask that question to herself. It wasn't just about who Boaz believed she was, but for the first time in a long time, man, Ruth found herself in a very vulnerable situation. But Ruth came from a people that were known to be in vulnerable situations. Ruth was a Moabite. And the entire Moabite society and culture came from a man named Lot, you can read about him in Genesis, being seduced by his daughter in order for them to have an heir and someone to continue on their lives. So the entire idea behind someone who was a Moabite was that of someone who was sexually perverse, someone who was sketchy, someone who could be deceitful. And now, in the middle of the night, Boaz has woken up, and he's looked down, and there's randomly his feet are uncovered, and there's some lady laying down at midnight next to him. And the question arises, who are you? And it's at this place that one of two things can happen in Ruth's life. And she can be the Moabite. She can respond in a way that's culturally expected of who she is. Or she can respond as the daughter, the one who has showed immense faithfulness to Naomi, immense faithfulness to God. And that also is, is I mean, like, you guys can take from that the application that you need to, because that, that is truly, I think, a place that a lot of us find ourselves in. There's a lot of young people in here, and we always are put in situations where society expects us to be one thing, and yet there's this tug of faithfulness at our heart. And there's even this tug that says, man, you know, I, I'm sure there's forgiveness for this tomorrow, but, but the idea here is that Ruth responds emphatically with no, but there's faithfulness for now. And she literally looks and says in verse 9, he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And what that literally means, there is a text in Ezekiel, culturally there is this, this idea that when you spread your wings over someone, it meant that you were going to marry them. When you spread your, your it was like your cloak, you spread it over them. And so the choice between a seductive night rendezvous and a beautiful intention to see Ruth provided for, Naomi provided for, and godly union brought forth, Ruth chose to be the daughter. And she said, hey, I'm, will you marry me? Will you make this right? This is not some in the middle of the night thing. I am here to see if you will make this right as you are our kinsman redeemer. Do your duty and redeem us before God and for the sake of our family. And then we transition and our attention goes to this third person, to Boaz. And Boaz, man, he's, he's wonderful. He doesn't miss a beat. Boaz doesn't miss a beat at all. In verse 10, he starts by saying, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. The exact same phrase used to describe that woman in Proverbs 31 from a couple of weeks ago. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And this is where Boaz kind of steps in the picture, and we get this understanding of who he is and how he's showing God. Because in, in all honesty, if you're Boaz, think about the situation. Man, you had a hard, long day's work. You feel absolutely satisfied. You feel great. You ate. You had your fill. You got that, you know, that feeling that you get like at Thanksgiving when you, like, when you ate and you were like, I just did that work, son. You go and you lay down on the couch and it's, it's fixing to be done. That's what Boaz was feeling right then. And in the middle of the night, his feet are uncovered and a woman is laying there. And this godly man understands that in this moment, not every moment of temptation is a moment for opportunity. In fact, no moment of temptation is a moment for opportunity. They can't be confused. Oftentimes in our heart, we can see temptation and go, oh man, here's my chance. Yet Boaz sees it completely differently. He says, hey, what's going on here? You, you want to, you want me to marry you? Okay, that, that's good. And then this process of faithfulness starts working through Boaz's mind. I mean, there's a, an incredible woman here. He says, man, you are a worthy woman. My entire town knows how worthy of a woman you are. And you want me to be your redeemer. You want me to, to take you in for you to be my wonderful, I'm faithful wife. We read in Proverbs 31 the kind of a wife that this woman is intended to depict. And, and, and the beautiful part is that he says, you know, and as great as that is, and it's, again, a godly, godly desire and a godly intention. He looks back and goes, but there is laws in place instated, instituted by the Lord that says there is another one closer to you. And he actually has the first right to be this redeemer to your family. That's a faithfulness unlike Naomi that displays this sense of, hey, in order to be a good husband to you, this worthy woman, my own heart has to be submitted faithful to God in very big things and in very small things. And if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, there was an acrostic, this, this idea in Proverbs 31 that this is a woman who lives faithfully from top to bottom for the long haul. And yet this is mirrored now in this beautiful story as Boaz looks at her and goes, man, and in the same way you're faithful from top to bottom and for the long term, I want to be faithful to you as well. So I will take a small time tomorrow, and I'll pursue this person and say, hey, will you redeem Ruth? And if he doesn't, then I will. And in that moment, the craziest part is that, man, Boaz is called to fulfill the very prayer that he prayed for Ruth in the last chapter. Ruth puts Boaz in the position to fulfill the very prayer that he prayed over Ruth in the last chapter. In chapter 2, verse 12, let's just read it. In chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz, talking to Ruth, says, The Lord repay you what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
And the beautiful part is Ruth goes to Boaz and says, hey, can you be those wings? And that sounds corny, but if you think about it, it's her saying, hey, you prayed a prayer for me. And man, that showed me a lot about who God is. You and Naomi have been doing that a lot lately. You see, but Naomi, she gave me this idea that when, when the Lord seeks rest, he uses someone to provide it. And you said you want me to take refuge in the wings of the Lord. And I got this hunch from Naomi that, that maybe you're the one that's supposed to provide it. So will you do that? Will you be the answered prayer to the very thing you prayed for me? And uh, this, this, is a, this is a weird situation. I mean, honestly, these guys probably haven't talked in like eight to ten weeks. This isn't the few paragraphs here don't mean that there's only like a few days in between. These, they haven't even talked in weeks. But there is this burden to know, hey, am I supposed to play this role in this person's life? Am I supposed to be the answer to the prayer that, that I even had for them? And I had a pretty stupid question written down in my notes. Um, looking at it now, I'm like, that's not a good question. Um, because the question is literally, hey, maybe that's where you are today, being called to be the, the answered prayer in someone's life. And then I thought to myself, that, that's a dumb question, because that, that's where you are today. It's not, it's not a question of whether you might be. It's a question of who's, what's. Um, that's where I am today. That, that's the reality of our lives. That we have been given a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful role to play in partnering with God and seeing his work done on earth. That, that's what our role is. We are not, I'm not personally right now starring in a movie about Josh. I'm starring as an extra for a 0.5 seconds in a movie about God. And how he has made this beautiful, beautiful story of redeeming these people who had been afar off. And the reason it's my burden, the reason it's my challenge is because this is the reality of my life when it comes to Christ. Man, when, when, when I legitimately, when you, when we were in this position where we did not have a home of our own, spiritually speaking, when we were foreigners and we had nothing to call our own, it was Christ who's the greater Naomi that sought rest for us, that sought a place for us. We had no inheritance besides the inheritance of death through sin. It was the greater Ruth in Christ that sought an inheritance for us. And when we were vulnerable at the feet of a redeemer, completely, I mean, just, just rid of anything to offer him, it was the greater Boaz in Christ that looked at us and said, hey, I will count the cost to redeem you, and I will do it though you have nothing to offer back to me. Then that's the reality of being served by the king. That's the reality of being served by Jesus. And because we have been served by him, we're now tasked in charge with the idea of going out, with the action of going out, with the mission of seeking to pursue his purposes, what he desires to do in your roommates' lives, in your children's lives, in your co-workers' lives. And that, that's the reality of what's going on here. And guys, I get that it's scary. I get that it's very scary. The, the idea that we're talking about here is understanding that because I've been served by Christ, I go out and therefore serve the rest of the world. I do it by setting aside my maybe discomfort in something like the Campbell gift drive. Or maybe I do it in this weird way by actually like doing the scary job of like saying, hey, can I pray for you? Do you want to come to church? I have a community group thing. We get together. We talk. You want to come out to that? I mean, these, these seem so simple when you're up here, yet in our day-to-day -day lives, they're scary because we can think, man, 
I struggle with the same things these people struggle with. The crazy part, man, some of you guys see this good Jesus part, but they see that other part, that sinful part. And sometimes I don't really know how to approach them. And man, I, I think the, the point of this text is not so much so that we can look at Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and say, hey, here's how we should live, but instead that they would point to how another lived, how Jesus lived. And that's how we should live our lives, pointing to how he lived, pointing to how he is. So the fear that we have when approaching someone and saying, hey, I struggle, but can you come to church with me, is not the fear of saying, hey, can you come so that you can be like me, but instead saying, hey, there is this beautiful king, and can you come and introduce yourself to him? Right? That's the idea. I remember uh, a few weeks ago here, we were talking about doubt and fear, and someone came and said, hey, I have a sister, and she has these doubts about God. I don't know what to do because I feel like I need to silence her doubts so that she can really believe in Jesus. And when I heard it, I, I had this compassion for her because I, 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 I kind of felt like, man, you're putting a lot of burden on yourself right now. It, the, the reduction of fear in your sister's, the reduction of doubt in your sister's heart is not necessarily going to make Jesus look more beautiful. But I promise you, what you're burdened with is far less daunting than that. It's the simple proclamation that Jesus is beautiful, that he's glorious, that he in his glory has, has found heaven nothing to be uh, held on to, but has come down to serve us. And as that beauty increases in her heart and in her mind, that leads to the reduction of doubt, not the other way around. And literally, in that same way, man, in our hearts, fear, we, we sometimes fear that, man, we have to be this model of Christianity in order to invite someone to being a part of this walk. And again, in the same way that Naomi's not perfect, you are not called to be Jesus to anyone. You are simply called to declare the beauty of who Jesus is, of considering that, that he truly is that greater Ruth, that greater Boaz, that greater Naomi. And as you declare his beauty, man, your own fears subside. Your own fears subside. The challenge of going out and actually doing the scary work of being this agent that takes God's purposes and takes God's plans and makes them happen in the world and, and it partners with God to see those happen, that fear starts to subside because we begin to understand, wow, it's all about him. He empowers it to happen, and I get to sit back and say, man, isn't this beautiful? Your charge is to literally just embrace and view the beauty of Christ and then to trust that he can do with your offering as his servant and as his son and as his daughter more than anything else that you could ever have imagined doing without him. Trusting that he's great enough, big enough, holy enough, strong enough, sovereign enough, beautiful enough, lovely enough, good enough, that he will do that being faithful to his plan for your life and his plan for others' lives. And I promise as you do that, the, the, the rest that your heart needs, the rest that your heart lacks will be found. And the purpose that your life may feel like it lacks, that you seek out in things like our, our work or our families or our jobs or, uh, or, or school or whatever, that will begin to subside because the purpose will be found in how you are living out this this. This action of taking forward this plan of God in your job and in your family and in your school. This beautiful purpose of, of pursuing him in his plan wherever you are. Man, you'll find that rest, that purpose there. And so guys, in, in, in these last moments, I, I, do, 
I do want to encourage you, man. Let, let's do this together, though, because I'll, I'll admit this is hard. This is difficult, and it's even challenging. Today, I hope you don't walk out going, I need to do more, but instead you would walk out going, man, there's this beautiful Christ who has served me and does gloriously above what I could imagine because of who he is. All I have to do is offer the best of me to him, and he does a beautiful, beautiful gesture in making something beautiful out of that. I hope that's what you walk away with, but nonetheless, actually committing that can still be difficult. And so I want to encourage you, man, man find accountability in how you do this. Like, open up to your community group and, and say, hey, there's actually this person I've been praying for, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do X, Y, and Z to help them. Maybe the person that you hope finds provision, man, maybe the Lord's calling you to inconvenience your bank account to provide. Maybe the person that can't find a place to stay, maybe the Lord's encouraging and, and maybe moving you to be the, the place where they actually find a place to stay. Man, whatever it is, opening up about what that looks like to someone and saying, hey, help keep me accountable. And when I falter, when I get discouraged, man, point me back to the beauty of that Savior who has done that on my behalf when I did not know I needed it. Allow that space to, to be one that's fueled by Christ, that's surrounded by encouragement, fellowship, and accountability. Man, make that the purpose of your day. And I promise the everything else, whether it be school, family, whatever, man, all of it will be centered around the beauty of that Jesus, and he will do beautifully above and beyond what you could imagine. And in the beautiful words of Jesus, literally in Matthew 6, that you would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else would be added unto you in that way. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you are a good and gracious God, that you, um, that when we actually did not know that we were foreigners, that we were lacking, that we were vulnerable, you acted you pursued the purposes of God to save and redeem your people. And God, I do ask that you would make our hearts soft seeing the beauty of who you are in that. Your grace, your mercy, even your strength, your determination, your perseverance to stare death and even death on a cross in the face and that that would stir you, that would stir us to see that, man, you, you are strong when we are weak. And you're even well-worded when we're ill-worded, when we stumble on our words. And you desire to take what we have done in all of its faults and imperfections and do something beautiful with it. Allow us to see that and to, to really glory in that. Let it spur us to be encouraged to know, man, we are freed for freedom's sake, as Paul writes in Galatians. And, and let it stir us to go out and actually do that. Whether it be with our friends, our coworkers, or our family, let that just be a testimony. Let our lives, whether they be uh, good, bad, in all of our imperfections, let them be testimonies to your goodness to those around us as we declare how beautiful you are. And really ask and invite people into knowing you, into seeing you, and into being known by you, being loved by you, and loving you back. We love you. Thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there's four stations. Uh, around the auditorium, the cafeteria right now. As we stand up to worship in these last two songs, I would encourage you to take your time and go get communion. And as you get communion, just ponder through the reality that, man, Christ has, in fact, made a space for you. He loves you. He welcomes you into his family and his kingdom. And he's done it at cost to himself. And now he invites us into this beautiful purpose of partnering with him in order to continue that work in the lives of those around you. Love you. Thank you, guys. Let's go ahead and stand up and worship together.